the Born to Be Mild podcast. What is up, my fellow mild citizens? I am your super host, Ron Cabuno. I am recording this on September 7th, and this is another episode of BTBM. I hope all of you out there are subscribed and have given the show a gleaming five-star review. If not, hit pause and go do that now. We'll wait. I hope everyone had a peaceful and relaxing holiday weekend with as little super spreading as possible, of course. I kept it as America as I could, going to a vow renewal at a trailer park, selling some of our old shit from our storage unit on the Facebook marketplace, and I capped it all off with the mother of Midwestern ownership, home ownership activities, a fresh coat of jet black sealant on the driveway, rendering it a shade of noir that would make even Burt Reynolds' mustache jealous. There's less than 60 days to the election, so no better time to share an interview I conducted with the Deputy Director of the Board of Elections here in Mahoning County. I got a ton of great answers to many of the questions that we've all been having lately regarding polling places, absentee voting, and the Postal Service, and how coronavirus and Donald Trump have been effing with them all. So stay tuned for my conversation with Mr. Tom McCabe. And to wrap up the show, the wife and I talk some entertainment news, including the possibility of Ken Jennings as eventual heir to the Jeopardy throne. But first, a few words on the news. We start this week with Losergate, and while that could be the label given to the entire Trumpist movement and the presidency writ large, it's actually just going to refer specifically to the recent reports in The Atlantic on why Scrooge McDick can't comprehend concepts like decency, service, sacrifice, and honor. It was reporting that made public many different conversations where Donald Trump couldn't fathom why someone would fight and die for their country without the motive of profit or exaltation. He said everyone who fought in Vietnam were suckers, and that Americans don't want wounded vets at parades. And while literally standing at John Kelly's son's grave, a man killed fighting in Afghanistan at the ripe old age of 29, turned to the boy's father and said, I don't get it, what was in it for them? Let the horror of that statement alone sink in. If I told you that a baboon suddenly ripped the face off his human trainer, would you be surprised? Or more applicably, what if I told you that a maggot decided to burrow into a mound of shit to lay its eggs and multiply? That would not be news in the least. Those creatures are just doing what they do best. So why would it come as a surprise to anyone to hear about these confirmed statements attributed to Donald Trump? Of course, the master of fake reality wouldn't want the grotesque and non-camera-ready faces and mangled bodies of wounded service people to litter the manicured sidelines of his military parades. That's not what Americans want to see, he said. I'd argue that, just like these quotes themselves, it's exactly what America needs to see. The ugly side of war, the ugly side of its leader. In this country divided into not just red states and blue states, but red and blue areas of individual states, it's increasingly unlikely that an American either knows or converses with someone of opposing political views on a regular basis. And so I wonder 
how those rare conversations are going right now regarding this latest evidence of narcissism and dismissal in the face of true American valor and sacrifice. Is it a stretch to think that these people believe him once again when he claims this all to be another hoax, another witch hunt against him? We're creeping closer to our Fifth Avenue scenario. In that reality, his supporters would not only continue to back him after he's murdered someone in public, but would conceivably and willfully deny it ever happened, even if they were right there in the street when he pulled the trigger. The cult of denial is raging, my friends. In similar news of cognitive dissonance, there was no real surprise when late last week, German officials confirmed that opposition leader Alexei Navalny was poisoned by the Cold War era nerve agent Novichok. It turns out that his coma wasn't due to a lack of breakfast like the Kremlin's toxicologist initially suggested. They obviously and unsurprisingly have denied any involvement whatsoever in the attempted assassination. And so, as de facto leader of the free world, Chancellor Angela Merkel roundly condemned this illegal act and called on Russia for immediate answers, showing that while she literally and anatomically lacks a set of balls, figuratively, they're so big I can see them from another continent. Meanwhile, Mr. Big Boy Tiny Hands said, We don't have any proof, and it's interesting that everyone keeps mentioning Russia, but China does stuff too or some other disjointed deflection bullshit. This man is literally a factory of smoke and mirrors. And speaking of idiotic, unfounded piles of bullshit, Trump laid down a couple of whoppers last week, even for a man with his fast food diet. He ranted that the secret weapon of Antifa rioters is bags of soup. To be clear, he was talking about bags of cans of soup, But it's still insane that this guy's got so much time in front of cameras that these become the talking points he's actually interested in. Sure, definitely beats an estimated 400,000 dead Americans by the new year, which looks to be on target right now even as the virus has entered its season of moderate disinterest. But the Trump administration's dubious proposal of a rollout of a vaccine days before the election, coupled with the surge in interest in the infamously anti-vax QAnon community, definitely has the makings of a cruel and unrelenting winter season. The nihilist-in-chief also spouted some wacky story about hordes of black-clad troublemakers boarding planes. And this crazy SOB was in the friendly confines of the Laura Ingram show and still managed to make the host decidedly uncomfortable with all of his crazy talk. We had somebody get on a plane from certain city this weekend, and in the plane it was almost completely loaded with thugs, wearing these dark uniforms, the black uniforms, with gear and this and that. And she asked where, and he said, I'll tell you sometime, it's under investigation now. Not sure what he means by gear there, as these anarchists presumably had to check their bags of Roman candles and cans of soup before boarding, but I'm clutching my pearls just at the thought of such mile-high mayhem, aren't you? He also suggested that Americans should vote twice. Yes, this is all in the same fucking week. Just to test the system, of course. And he said that if their absentee votes haven't been marked as counted by election day, they should go in and illegally vote for a second time. Many states have a very detailed and informative tracking process that will let you know the status of your ballot, which we will get into in the interview coming up with Deputy Director McCabe. But this guy doesn't care. 
He probably heard from a strategist that this might be one more way to gum up the works in his favor, so he passed it along and suggested to every hauler in backwater in America via his poisonous Twitter feed that it was a good idea to do so. I mean, even right now, down-the-middle good guys like Jim Gaffigan are putting their appeal and livelihoods on the line to roast and denounce this vile dude. Hopefully, more of middle America's heroes will do the same. So, Jeff Dunham, Pat Sajak, we're looking at you. Now, there was plenty of other real news that happened this week. Australia is considering making Facebook pay news agencies when their content gets read and shared on their platform, a move I totally fucking love and want to dig deeper into. You know, because investigative reporting is dying a death of defunding right before our very eyes. Indiana proposed legislation that would bar anyone arrested for looting during a protest from being eligible for unemployment benefits. Not sure I see the connection there, but okay. Tennessee has a bill in the works that would make anyone camping overnight at a protest guilty of a felony for doing so. And the French satirical magazine, Charlie Hebdo, re-released cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad that sparked the attack on their newsroom in 2015 that killed 12 people. Lastly, Novak Djokovic had to default from the pare-down field of ball beaters at the U.S. Open after inadvertently acing one right into a line judge's windpipe between points. Now, I think this is a good rule and it would probably serve other sports well to implement their own versions of it. Might even keep Chris Paul from punching people in the dick with such regularity. And now, without further ado and without further distraction, I give you my interview with Tom McCabe, Deputy Director of the Mahoning County Board of Elections. All right, we are very lucky to have Thomas P. McCabe. He is the deputy director here at the Mahoning County Board of Elections. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having us on the podcast. Absolutely. Well, you know, we were trying to get your your boss Joyce on, but she is a very busy bee, and uh, it's actually been fortunate because each time that she has pushed back our our talk, we've had more and more stuff to talk about. So I'm glad to have you, and now you're going to get everything that I was about to throw at her. Well, that that's perfect. You know, Joyce is so busy. I mean, she has a lot of irons in the fire, and. Uh, we kind of split our duties. She's the director. I'm the deputy director. And we kind of take our own things here. And she she prefers me sometimes to do the media and the, the talking. And she does all the behind-the-scenes work getting ready for election day. You're the voice of the so, operation. You're the show pony, and I appreciate you sure. trotting out here and giving <laughs> yeah. us a couple minutes. Thank you very much. So there are a bunch of election-related concerns that have definitely been on my mind. And I figured the only way that I could actually have them answered honestly is to have somebody, in your opinion, speak to them. So thank you very much again for your time. Well, and sure, you know, I've been doing this 22 years now. And so I've been through five, six presidentials. And, and we're expecting this one to be one to, to be... Oh, it's the same as all the others, that. right? No, no, nothing different. <laughs> nothing different, right. Yeah, this is, this is going to be more challenging than anything we've ever done. All right, so we'll start out right, you know, with the obvious, okay? The COVID-19 pandemic has caused uh, Donald Trump to say that the National Postal Service is not only under-equipped to handle the volume of mail associated with the presidential election, you know, especially if he takes away its funding and sorting machines and all that, I add parenthetically, but also would lead to widespread ballot fraud. But even before COVID, he insists that if he loses, it will be because of a rigged election. So my question to you, first and foremost, is why are you guys trying to jam up the Donald? Um, <laughs> I don't think we are. 
I, you know, each state runs their, their elections different. There's no really federal regulations when it comes to how states do it. Elections are, are, are states' rights, basically. Each, each state does it different. But I think, you know, speaking to Ohio, I think we have a pretty good system. And we've been doing absentee voting for uh, forever. Of course, the no-fault absentee that we do in Ohio has been in place probably 15 years now. Which means that you do not have to have a specific excuse to get that. That's correct. When I first started here, you'd have to, have to be out of town, out of country, in the hospital, and illness, or reason over 65 to vote. Now anyone can take part in this process. And in 2016, you know, like election, like t- uh, 2020, we did over 46,000 people early and by absentee, and it works great. Ohio has that that system. It's not an all-mail ballot like California or Oregon, Oregon Washington. Mm-hmm. We actually were required to, to take an application first. And, of course, we double-check those applications to your signature, to your last four digits of your Social Security number, driver's license number. So when we send a ballot in the mail, we're pretty confident the ballot we're sending is the the person who says who they are. They are who they say they are. Um, Has so, there ever been any suggestion on switching it over to an all mail in format? Well, I think the all mail formats come just come along recently in the last five to ten years around the country, and I don't think Ohio is going to go that route. I think Ohio over, over the last ten years we've always said it's easy to vote, hard to cheat. And that was that uh, John Houston slogan that he came up with uh, four to eight years ago. And I still think that uh, pertains to say that it's really easy to vote in Ohio. We have a huge window to vote. It's easy to vote. But it's really hard to cheat because there's a lot of double checks built into the system with the balance of the Republicans and Democrats at boards of elections, with the verification process from registrations to the absentee application to the ballot, the actual ballot itself. So I think if you live in Ohio, you're voting in Ohio, it's a, it's a very secure system. And on election night, we should know the results. And I think the voters should be able to trust those results. Very good. Uh, so any thoughts on the most recent suggestion by the president that someone should vote twice? Did you hear about this? I did. And I, I think that the, the, if, if you vote an absentee, how, how, how I heard and how I understood it, if you request an absentee in Ohio, and we send you a ballot, and for some reason that ballot, you're afraid it didn't get back in the mail in time or you don't get a chance. You can go and vote election day, even though we sent you an absentee ballot. What's going to happen, though, is we're going to vote your provisional, provisional. ballot. Mm-hmm. And so Ohio law has that built in that if for some reason, after you've sent the application, after we've sent the ballot out, that for some reason you don't want to return that ballot, you're afraid that ballot didn't make it here, you can still come and vote on election day to make sure your vote's cast. But so you, know, you don't feel what he was suggesting would somehow gum up the works and have uh, a lot of duplications that might prolong the the results? I don't think so. We've had those duplication uh, problems. I mean, every year we have those voters that for some reason or other they show up on election day and vote after they cast that absentee ballot. That was new to me. I had never heard of somebody wanting to do that, but I guess you really just want to be sure. But at the same time, everyone's always been told you only vote once. This isn't Chicago. <laughs> right, right. What you see on election night in most states are unofficial results anyhow. And then every state has a certification process where then, you know, in Ohio, it's about 12 to 15 days that we actually then come out with official results. That's only affected when and when those results are so close, when you're within that margin one half of one percent um 
So that's a worst case scenario where on election night, we don't know if Biden or Trump is actually the president. Think of Florida in 2000. Exactly. Where, where that went. So I was actually well just going to get to that. That right. was like my yeah. next question. <laughs> um, right. And, and so, you know, you, you can prepare for that and, and speculate that's going to happen. But that, that was the same speculation four years ago. Will Donald Trump accept losing? Will Hillary Clinton? But what we saw on election night was enough spread in those three states of Wisconsin, Michigan, PA, where Hillary had to accept it. Right, because the numbers made sense. But right now we are in a new year with new circumstances where you're going to see a lot more of a mail-in that's going to take a lot of time. Now, it's not everyone's going to be California. Right. But at the same time, you're going to have more contesting, I believe. Most of your swing states that you're looking at, if you're looking at the map, have a system in place, an absentee system, where those votes are counted at 7.30 on election night. So in Ohio, you vote absentee, and let's, you were expecting over 60,000 absentee early votes compared to 46,000 four years ago. The first results Ohio voters see on election night at 7.30 are those absentee votes. And so those votes that are cast early are the first ones counted and reported on election night. What, what well, Ohio faces those provisional votes. Um, but every year we see the number of provisional voters decreasing, too, as people get used to the new systems and, and, and what's happening. I think there's a lot of education taking place out there uh, on the Democrat side and the Republican side. They're trying to drive their voters early with applications. Um, how has COVID made your job different? Well, actually, COVID's making our job different of how we're preparing for the actual election day on November 3rd. And it's that recruiting of poll workers. Uh, making sure our polling locations are safe and, and and the protocol calls are in place. The biggest challenge right now is recruiting poll workers mm-hmm. on that. Um, our demographics, not only in Mahoning, but statewide, tend to be a little bit older for poll workers or retired people that come out. They, I mean, they, they do get paid, but they, they volunteer, they, they it's more of a up. service and not a money-making attempt. Right, you're right. <laughs> yeah. It's probably under minimum wage after that, you know, getting there at 6 in the morning, staying till 8 o'clock at night. Sure. But, um... No, it's a duty, and like I, it, we were talking about right. before the interview started, um, you know, having an election holiday where people are able to freely move about and get to the polling places would at their nice. leisure yeah, would certainly nice would be nice. Board, uh, election standpoint, And would probably yeah. bring up our... our uh, percentages as a country right. over the whatever it is, 50% yeah. that it's at right now. Yeah, right. We in the state of Ohio, I think, will be facing a shortage of poll workers. So it's been something we've been working on all summer and we'll continue to work on all the way through probably November 2nd of making sure we have enough people at those polls so it goes smoothly on Election Day that we don't have lines and we don't have any issues at, at the polls. Sure. And... Speaking to the lines at the polls and what have you, are you concerned about any type of involvement by partisans uh, in terms of uh, fact checkers at the polls? No, we go every four years. We go through this with the state Democrat Party, the state Republican Party. They appoint observers into the polls. Mm -hmm. But the whole process, as it's evolved over the years, most of those people are well-trained. They're professionals. Um it's good to have a second set of eyes of observers out there from both parties seeing what's going on because we can take care of the problems faster sometimes because we're getting feedback from our polls of what's going on at the polls. And so 
it's rare when we have one of these observers or these these poll watchers that actually cause problems for us. They're they're more we look at them as a partnership that if we're busy, they're calling back to their respective parties or organizations who call us that we can get out to the polls in time and say, okay, you know, this time it might be spreading the people out of line because social distancing. It might be that the machine is down that we have to go fix. Any of the, the, the problems that you, know, you face on election day that it's actually kind of works to, we feel, to our advantage to have those people out there. Okay. We haven't really seen the politicization of law enforcement the way we have in this election and through this president. So I understand that um, in an official capacity, the sheriff's department isn't really allowed to occupy a place, but they are allowed to do it voluntarily. So would you think that you might be seeing a more voluntary um, presence of law enforcement or just armed people in general in polling places versus previous years? And would you think that that might be more in Democratic-leaning areas? Um, I'd have to go back to, you know, historically, we just haven't seen it. I think we have good community leaders, which helps. Um I think we could, we have a good sheriff's department. We, we have good poll workers that know how to handle things. Um, never say never, of course, but right. overall, you know, just from a past historical perspective, we don't expect that to be a problem on election day. I think our biggest issue we're facing is, is this COVID and making sure voters are feel safe to come in, that voters are wearing masks. As of now, it's required for a voter to wear a mask when they come into a porn location, and we kind of expect people to follow that. We were talking about Miami-Dade County in 2000, and that was just absolutely crazy. So you know about the Brooks Brothers riot, right, where they essentially was a bunch of soft-collar guys who were coming in and banging on the doors, and they got the uh, recount to stop short, essentially. That's correct. I remember. Yeah, that okay. goes back a few years, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like... Is there any place in Ohio that would possibly be susceptible to that type of thing? Or what kind of safeguards do you have? Because not only in in the count, but in possible recounts, um, are you worried about anybody doing that, you know, kind of strong arming that during a count? And, and, and my second question is, are you worried about anybody taking the boxes? To answer the first part, I think if we look at Miami-Dade and the 2000 election, it's apples and oranges now because those systems in place, whether it be the butterfly ballot or the hanging Hang chads chats. with mm-hmm. the punch card system, they're all gone. Right. Uh, they've all been decertified. Every state has switched over to a different system, whether it be electronic voting or paper ballots, where on a recount, you don't have that same margin of error, error and that determination of how that person voted. With so it would probably be, if anything, uh, a signature issue? It could be a signature issue prior to, um, could, yeah, with the absentee process. It could be uh, some of the form is left blank. Ohio has a very specific rules of what what is required and what's not, but we also have a very vigorous follow-up system that if you send us an absentee ballot that's missing, that ballot comes back and it's missing information, we're going to call you. And we're going to send you a letter say, listen, you need to correct this prior to oh, election Oh, you have an day. opportunity to make it right we, you have prior to election. Prior to. Mm-hmm. And you still, even if you vote provisional, you still have that 10 days to make your make your application right 
10 days after for provisional ballots. Now, the how, Secretary did, of State's website, how did the purge of the rolls work? Well, you know, people like to say the purge. I like to say voterless maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um, a cleansing. <laughs> you can call it cleansing. I'm going to call it voterless maintenance. What we don't want, and you see uh, states that don't have what you call a purge, what I call voterless maintenance, is that you have more registered voters than actual people that live in a county in California because they don't purge. They don't maintain their list. Maintaining our list is one way to ensure that we have a clean role that we, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a st- it helps with potential fraud. That if someone moves and they move out of state, we want to follow up on that and make sure they can't vote here and in the second state. Mm-hmm. And if, what's the timetable for that? And then how often does it happen? Well, we send postcards to these people that haven't. Um, if you haven't voted in four years, you're going to get a postcard from us. And all you need to do is return that postcard to us. And it's going to renew your registration basically for another four years. If you don't send that postcard back, basically you're going to be put on a list say, well, the following year, we're going to send you another postcard. And if you don't follow up with two postcards, we're going to assume you don't live that address or, or, or you're not there anymore. For so it's six years, not. right? It's almost six years okay. that it's going to take you to get. You, you always hear, I guess, the negatives out there. But I think most election officials in Ohio and across the country want to make it easy for people to vote and, and making sure every vote's counted accurately and getting an accurate result. At the end of the day, I have a, we all have a job to do here. In regards to if you support Trump or if you support Biden or you support a local candidate over another one, our job is to make sure whoever's what those, those vote totals reflect the, 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 the ballots cast. That's yeah. our number one job to make sure everyone has an opportunity to vote. And once they to, do vote, that it's accurate. And, and for 22 years, we take that oath. And I think that's very important. Now, when I leave her at 4.30, I might have my preferences. I might be out there making phone calls. I might be out there pounding yard signs. But I do see there's an election every elephants four years. around the office. Let's just right. <laughs> uh, in, in Mahoney County, in, in Ohio, uh, boards of elections are split uh, 50-50. So we have 14 employees here. There's seven Democrats and seven Republicans. Joyce is the director. She's a Democrat. Okay. So it means a deputy director has to be a Republican. Interesting to... Right, and then balance have, out the yeah, power at have, the top. We have four board members who appoint us to our positions every two years: two Democrats and two Republicans. And since Joyce is the Democrat director, our chairman of the board, Mark Monroe, is actually a Republican. And so you have that um, eyes on each other. When mm-hmm. we program ballots, there's a Republican Democrat. When we test the ballots, there's a Republican Democrat. So everything goes through that two party process here. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, so obviously we're kind of in a democratic stronghold here until, you know, Trump started, you know, kind of reaching yeah. out to the working man's vote. And I think, was that not the closest that a presidential election has been? I mean, they, it still went for the Democrats in 2016, but by three points, it was 49, 46, basically. Yeah. Uh, Hillary had the 49, Trump had the 46, but the Republicans haven't carried this county since 1972. Right. And prior to that, I think it was 1932, when mm. it actually flipped nine wow. years ago. And so, yeah, this was always one of these Democrat strongholds. But what you've seen is Donald Trump has flipped the script a little of who our base is and who the Democrat base is. And he did very well four years ago, 46% of it. Again, it's the best we've ever done since 1972. And he and, did end up flipping uh, Trumbull County. Right, he flipped Trumbull County, I think, 
first time since 1972. Yeah. And so we've become kind of a battleground state in national politics, battleground county in national politics, which is very unusual. Right, because um, it used to be just so dominant by the unions and... Just and kind of knew the result before election night in Mahoney County. Absolutely. Right. Right. Um, when this county hasn't elected a, a Republican commissioner since 1962, an engineer since the 1940s, a sheriff since the 50s, yeah, it's a Democrat stronghold. Mm-hmm. But what we're seeing now with Donald Trump, he is he's changed that because he's brought new people into our party. And, you know, as a Republican, I can say, yeah, he's brought new people into the Republican Party, I should say. Right. You know, you try to wear the hat from 8 to 430 as an election official. Of course, I'm the Republican Party chairman in Mahoney County, as Joyce is the Democrat Party chairman in, in Mahoney County. And so sometimes you, you, know, you have to watch because... We have you can't. You have to wonder right which now. hat you're speaking under at, at what time of day. Yeah, what time of day, <laughs> right? Um, uh, but yeah, Trump has changed how Mahoney kind of looks politically. Well, I think he's changed the uh, look of the Republican Party in general. Sure, he has. Uh, yeah. yeah. So if you look at a lot of the things that Republicans may have stood for, or if you look at their platform from. Eight years ago, sure. twelve, any other time prior to Trump and and versus now, it's right. a one eighty almost. It is, but you can say the same thing with the Democrat Party too. Is this the same party that was Bill Clinton's party in the nineties of a, a moderate Southern Democrat who was their nominee? Now you have a party that's been being pushed by progressives on the left, as you have our party being pushed by Trump and, and his people. Mm-hmm. Both parties have changed. Sure. Yeah, both parties have changed. But what I don't believe has changed is that the Democrats would consider themselves to be the party of the Big Ten, especially when you look at the demographic makeup of one party versus the other. And I, it's just, it's really tough to see how. I mean, now this is getting obviously off right, topic. I'd love to do a, a podcast with you after work and talk a lot more politics like yeah, this too. Maybe we right. could do that. Yeah. And so I think we could probably wrap this up. I guess. Um, what are what is your biggest concern outside of poll workers? Um, are, have you had to talk to the uh, mail, the the postal service? Is everything locked tight locally around here with regards to that? Yeah, we we have a really good relationship with our postal service. Uh, actually, our prior secretary of state, John Houston, developed good relationships with the postal service as our current one, Frank LaRose. And of course, some of these cutbacks within the postal service started years ago mm-hmm. with them closing Youngstown as a process. Right, and I was just going to ask, because now everything has to go through Cleveland. Right. Now, does that make things harder uh, for this county just because you're adding, I think, a day in the sorting process? Initially it did, but now we have such a good relationship with downtown that as soon as our mail comes in, there's communications back and forth. We have our own pickups down there. Um, They check throughout those last, you know, four or five days to make sure any ballot that may be down there is getting to us. Um, Because those are still considered priority. And even though I believe Trump said that, or the new uh, postmaster general said that, you know, post offices are going to have to start, states are going to have to start paying to keep them at the high priority rate. Do you feel that that's going to influence anything in terms of timeliness? Well, I don't think in Mahoney County, I don't think in Northeast Ohio, because I think that relationship over the last four to five years has been one ongoing where we have a really great open line of communications within our, our postal service. And they've done a great job for us of even calling us at six o'clock on election night and say, listen, 
you know, we're leaving here, but can you get down here? Because we, we found a, a tray of, of mail. We, and so I think it's been pretty good. I really do. I think I'm not, my biggest concern is these COVID restrictions, making sure voters get that access to the ballot on election day, that we're getting our absentees sent out timely and returned timely. Mm-hmm. But it's really not the Postal Service. I think it's going to be the amount, the volume of mail that we're dealing with. But right. I think the Postal Service here can handle it. I, I truly do. Well, they've said time and again that, you know, it's basically going to be a drop in the bucket versus a Christmas card season. So. <laughs> Correct. Right. You know, they, if they can handle before. that, they right. can handle this. Most of our Christmas cards get back to us by December twenty fifth. Before the twenty fifth, right. that's right. And even if they don't get back by the twenty fifth, as long as they're postmarked by the twenty fourth, that Christmas card will still count as received. Absolutely. So that's the same with the ballot. Just get it to the post office by Monday. They'll get it postmarked. And the, even if we get it on Wednesday, Thursday after election, as long as you have that postmark on there. We have a scanner to tell us it did. We're going to count that ballot. Yeah. And so just and the, like it counts with grandma because it says right on there that you sent it in time. Right. You guys yeah. are going to give us full credit as well. We're going to give you full credit <laughs> for that ballot. Just don't wait till Wednesday to drop in the mail. It's not going to count. And that goes back to voter responsibility, too. If we send you, a, if you get your ballot on October 15th, don't wait till October 3rd to get back. My question is, down, who could possibly still be on the fence? <laughs> so I think that once they get their access to that ballot, they should probably put it right back in the mail. I think every four years, I, I, I think the swing voters are decreasing every four years. I don't think there's as many swing voters. It's who's coming out and who's motivated to come out to vote. Sure. And if either side can get an advantage on that, that's who's going to win. And that's most elections. Turnout, turnout, turnout. Mm-hmm. And you get your people out, you win. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I don't think there's many people on the fence. You know, with our early voting, sometimes we have 20-minute, 30-minute waits. I don't think there's anyone in mind thinking, am I going to vote for Trump or Biden this time? I don't think they were sitting there last time thinking, am I voting Clinton or no. Going back, it's not a last minute thing. It's not. Maybe some local issues, maybe a, a local school issue, maybe a commissioner candidate. But I think at the presidential level, once people are in line and they get their ballot, I think they kind of know already. Sure. I well, know. the question is, is like, are they going to have to wait for twenty minutes, or are they going to wait for three hours? Because then you're going to see people heading back to the cars. So we just want to make sure that you know they get to the, the access as right. in a timely a manner as possible. And so, since Ohio has such a, a good absentee system, we're telling people. Get your application now. We're, we're sending the first uh, round of ballots out October 6th. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping to dump twenty five to 30,000 ballots in the mail on October 6th. And they most people should get those within two, three days. And if it won't take long to fill that out. Get it back in the mail to us, and it'll be, your vote will be in and counted. Right. It's there. It's, it's, it's in the box, ready to go. I think Ohio has a really good system, a robust system of checks and balances that when you hear these stories or you see them on social media that envelopes are marked R's and D's or... Which was for the primaries. It was for the primaries. Yeah, and that was definitely a bunch of fake news going around in the last couple weeks. And it was California. Mm -hmm. Ohio doesn't do that. Right. And so we don't have an all-mail ballot here, which I'd love to talk to you as a political person about. I love the absentee system Mahoney County has, that Ohio has. I think it's safe, it's secure, and it's easy to vote. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it. I appreciate your time oh, so no, much. That was you. so many great really questions and answers. Yeah. A lot of good questions. Ah. So thank you. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you very yeah. much. It's easy to answer when you have good questions. Well, we'll talk to you when you have the party hat on sometime. Okay. Yeah, right. please. Yeah.
And lastly, in the infotainment segment of this week's show, I am bringing back the esteemed guest, Mrs. Ron Cabuno, a.k.a. my wife, Brittany. (laughs) I thought you were tapping into your feminine side. (laughs) (laughs) My alter ego. (laughs) No, that's not correct. Hello, everyone. (laughs) You're here to talk about all the different things besides politics and uh, tsunamis of whatever um that you know we saw in the last week here um and i figured we could start off with the the passing of chadwick boseman who um had some pretty important roles yeah um there was a movie that i tried to watch with you once (laughs) that you told me it was stupid and just shut it off Right, and that was totally dismissive of me. Uh, it was Black Panther, and if for no other reason is because I'm totally anti superhero movie. That's exactly why you made me shut it off. Right, right, but then like you know, in retrospect, and especially with his passing, I can understand the significance of this man, you know, and his place in society. Well, you have listeners, so I will say you didn't make me. You just made it so unforgiving to watch it with you. I had to shut it off. I wasn't really quite digging the beginning. I'm sure it got better as it went along. But my point is now that, you know, like, not only was it really important and emblematic to have a black star superhero in the Marvel canon or whatever, but also that, you know, like, like anyone else, like, uh, you know, young black kids or whatever need that escapism route. And so that, like, hit them on all these different levels and, um... I can only imagine how important it was seeing that on screen and uh, what kind of place they have in, in, in their hearts. Well, and if they liked him enough, they probably looked up other films he's been in. And we recently talked about other films. The first one that I could remember, I think that was noted, was 42. Yeah. Not that good of a movie, but a very important role. You know, Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. Totally. And he did actually pass away on the day that Jackie Robinson was to be honored in Major League Baseball. It got pushed back. It was normally on a different day, but because of COVID, it got, you know, reassigned to a different day, and that was the day that Bozeman passed away. Oh. Yeah. A little unfortunate and serendipitous at the same time. But, yeah, I mean, like, this guy was James Brown at one point. He was Thurgood Marshall. Like, he did not half-step when it came to his roles. Like, it was always a very important figure that he wanted to be on the screen. Yeah. Um... And we have another thing we were going to cover that is not somebody who is dead, so we can get to a little bit happier news. Okay. Our boy Alex, Alex Trebek. Yeah. He is doing better with his um, numbers. He is not obviously on the mend because he has a very big battle with cancer, but he is healthier and the healthiest he's felt is the report. Yeah. But they are bringing on... Mr. Ken Jennings. <laughs> Mr. Champion himself, not stupid ass James Holzhauer. If you're out here listening, James, we don't like you in this house. <laughs> Only if Ken's against you. Otherwise, we do root for you. All right. I mean, I like that you give the shout out to your nephews and nieces, but your dumb bets aren't cool. I don't like your math brain. <laughs> <laughs> Jealousy. But yeah, Ken Jennings is going to come up as a producer he's going to do his own video segments for he's going to be a categories clues. presenter yes yes um and his first um the premiere of the new season is the 14th okay and then his first category present is the 15th 
Awesome. I read that today before we talked. Nice. No, that's going to be so great because, like, he's an awkward, nerdy guy, and he certainly doesn't have the same uh, Sean Connery gravitas that Alex Trebek, you know, has endeared us with all these years. But if there was any more worthy heir to the throne, I don't know of one. Like, like if I could ever see myself watching Jeopardy in a post-Trebek world... It would be with someone, you know, as, as you know, important to the canon of Jeopardy as Ken Jennings. Yeah, and he just won that um, Masters tournament or whatever, yep. Champions of Champions. Sure. But I also, in my reading, found out that he did not even want to come. Okay. The Jeopardy folks were, like, begging him. They didn't want to have that empty podium, and they just needed him. And he was like, no, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose that shit bag. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was like, I'm getting older. I'm not as sharp. And I can watch this guy present day being super quick and awesome. So I'm not trying to come on there after I've had this awesome streak and just blow it all up and feel bad about myself. Well, you know, during Ken's run, it was, you know, probably three or four or more times longer than James's run. He just didn't win as much because he didn't bet the same way. Right, and he didn't jump around the board the same way. Right, his strategy was completely different, but his preparation was legendary. And that's what set the tone for everything ever since, because you're able to figure out what type of categories are most prevalent. It's all, like, big data-based. So you find out what type of categories have been done recently, what's your prevalence on um, what's going to be coming up next, and uh, you hammer down, and, and just the way he studied and prepared just says, like, set the tone for everybody. It's a game of its own. Yeah, exactly. And they're really good at it. So uh, he's like, you know, I haven't been doing my reps lately. And this James guy probably hasn't missed a beat, even though, you know, I think he has all kind of other stuff going on. But, you know, it's much more fresh in his mind in that in being in that mindset and that frame of mind. Right. So, um,. Yeah, that was really great that he came out of the woodwork, out of retirement, and just... Yeah. So, congratulations to Alex and Ken on their new partnership. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I will definitely be watching. I know you will be right there with me. And then I did want to put out a big screw you to the Disney folks. Okay, why is that? Um, because you already have to pay to have Disney+, Plus, and now they want you to give $30 to be able to watch the live-action Mulan, which is total malarkey. Mm. Because it's what it, from from what I hear, it's not that great. Well, I hear they like left people out of it, or stuff. it's just a little dragon character that Eddie Murphy played in the animated series. So anything that was too cheesy for a live action, they were just like, we don't need this. Well, it's not. It doesn't make bullshit. it as real if you have a little talking dragon. But exactly. it also brought away a lot of her speaking parts. Because a lot of her speaking parts were talking to the dragon, mm -hmm. and it was like her sounding board to get her thoughts out, instead of just like staring at her blank wall, saying how all of her feels. Yeah. And so there's no dialogue for her. So it's a male-dominated movie about a woman in empowerment But situation. it sounds like a, just a colder movie overall. Yeah, there's no music. I mean, there's no musical part yeah. of it all. Um, Call and... me for live-action Moana. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I can get down with. Um, but I was never a Mulan fan myself, anyhow. Okay. So I'm not really that hurt about it. I'm not going to pay for it. But I recall having to go to the grandparents to watch 
Disney because you paid for it then. Yes, yeah, a premium. And now it's free with your cable subscription, but you can pay for Disney streaming. But I still posit that $30 for this, like, quick access or whatever, for something that will probably be included in the subscription six or eight months from now, is a bargain. Because think about how much you're saving because you're not taking the entire family to the theater and spending, you know, 12 bucks per tiny little head. We have one tiny little head, so you're saying if she wanted to watch it and she was old, you would say okay? I am saying that it doesn't make sense in ours, even though even though it's still actually a savings, because it would be like 12, 12, 8. So we'd be slightly making out on the deal for that one. You know, I'm not saying we wouldn't invite over the neighbors and socially distance, make sure that we got our value. But, you know, <laughs> I, yeah. So I just understand where that price point comes from, because you can't just be giving this shit away when, like, you're in... Uh, an era of absolutely no box office revenues being made. Okay, so you think that they should have put Hamilton out for free ninety nine, but this crap Milan should be thirty dollars. I think that Hamilton is a different story because it's like something that was um, translated from the stage that really needed to have wide access given to the country because it's something they weren't able to see in its original iteration. And it actually wasn't a change of form, you know. It was just the stage play being taken to, you know, a, a movie for or you know, a digital format. And as far as Disney is concerned, these are Ron's trash opinions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, more trash. We disagree on the Disney. That's fine. I'm just saying. That, I don't like, think you should pay for Hamilton either. I'm just saying. $30 is a lot of dollars to be asking anyone to shell out during this time in the world. But if you would look at what they would have made in a normal year off of this release versus what they'll probably bring in digitally, it's going to be a pittance. So they did what they had to do, and if you don't want to watch it, you wait. Well, they had a whole lot of crap anyways. Their original girl had to be taken out. Yeah. She spoke against the democracy protests like in favor of the Hong Kong police oh word so that's the that's the tie back into you anything political that's going on in this <laughs> podcast today well done way to round it out so thanks for inviting me again <laughs> absolutely you're very welcome and thanks for coming aboard um, we will see you guys next week and we'll have more stuff to talk about in all aspects most likely going to be some Trump and election style bullshit but we'll also have some fun stuff as well uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Find us on the iTunes and the Google Play. And thanks again to Ryan Little for our awesome intro music. We will see you again next week. Bye.